This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Welcome to another edition of CFB Football. It's Jeremy Dade here once again, sitting in for Callum McFadden. My special guest today was Jockstein's last signing for Celtic back in 1978, where he left his native Donegal to come over and play for the Hoops. In a 17-year career at Paradise, he won trophies, titles, the works. He also went and played for the Republic of Ireland and went to the World Cup in 1990, where he famously made his name. These days you can hear him on BBC Radio Scotland, he works for UF as well. And five years ago I was lucky enough to be co-writer on his best-selling biography, The Last Line. He is Packy Bonner. Packy, how are you? Good, Jerry, and uh, delighted to be able to come on and speak to your audience and uh, maybe reminisce a little bit, uh, go back a bit and maybe talk about what the future of football is all about also. So yeah, looking forward to our chat. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'd, I'd like to talk to you about as well, as we can we can reminisce a bit, and God knows we did that plenty of times in the book, <laughs> but um, I, I want to get your views on, on football. But let, let's get back uh, right away to, we talked about your story. Now, one of the things that attracted me to your story was that I always felt your book would read like a novel, because it's almost like a fairy tale, you know, coming over at that age, when Jockstein's last signing, making your debut for Celtic on St Patrick's Day, making your Republic of Ireland debut on your 21st birthday, there was always this notion of romance about your career. What do you remember about that time coming over to Glasgow? Yeah, well, somebody asked me the other day about, uh, is there any photographs of when you signed for Celtic with Jockstein in the Ballyrain Hotel in Arkenny? And there wasn't. There was no uh, cameras, there was no phone cameras, there uh-huh. was, uh, it's amazing when I, when I think back and I did, we didn't actually, uh, we weren't able to probably take something that was going to maybe capture the moment uh, for forevermore. So we only can talk about it. Um, so I was over in 1977 on trial, I was over at Leicester City for about mm-hmm. a year playing in the, in the Youth Cup um, and he didn't sign me. Um, and I came back thinking that was it, really. Um, I always had this goal and this, this dream of, of, of trying to be a professional footballer, but I also in the back of my mind thought about, listen, I need to go to college or something. So that was then the focus. And then suddenly, um, you know, I, I got a, met Sean Fallon up in Dublin um, at one of the Donegal Youth Games, and, and uh, um, he asked me would I go over, would you fancy going over to Celtic? I went over in 1977, which is a long, long time ago when you think back. In it. Yeah. But it feels like yesterday, mm. coming over, it was the middle of winter, um, and the whole the whole place was covered in, in snow. There was very little training going on, and mm. I don't know why they took me over in the first place. <laughs> but then eventually, there was a game played out in Coltness, and I played for Coltness United against uh, East Kilbride Thistles. That was my very first game in Scotland, it was for a junior team. Junior football. Junior football. Um, and Frank Connor came out to watch us play, and I, 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 obviously, played okay for Fran to go back with a positive um, probably report to Sean Fallon and Dave McParland who was there at the time and, and Frank, Frank was a goalkeeper of course that was his position wasn't it so he 
Uh, Frank, Frank yeah, yeah, and I think that's why, and he was in charge of reserves and that at the mm-hmm. time, so that's mm-hmm. why he was put out, you know, so I, I'm very grateful to Frank, uh, he was actually, he was married 60 years ago, a couple of days ago, as we were, mm-hmm. myself and Billy Stark and a few others put a nice wee little video to, for himself and Mark, so he's a, he was a great man and a great in, impact on my career, uh, so I thank Frank for that, but then suddenly I, I came back and here, back to Ireland and went back to school and uh, then I was called out to go to uh, a tournament out in Ruby out in France at Easter mm-hmm. and that was a that was a big moment for me because now I was away for a period of time and um, uh, again I, you know as I said in my book I, I thought I didn't play very well in a tournament and uh, but they must have been fairly desperate for a goalkeeper of some description and <laughs> uh, maybe the profile I, I fitted the profile I was tall I was Irish mm-hmm. uh, I had a good pair of hands I could catch a ball mm-hmm. um, uh, that's for sure um, I was tall, um, uh, athletic. Um, thank God the passback wasn't out then, <laughs> because that might have uh, put the, the kibosh on, on on my chance. Uh, but in saying that, that so I fitted the profile. I think they also realised that they needed a young goalkeeper in the system. Um, and uh, then suddenly um, I went back home thinking again, you know, this isn't going to happen for me. I'm, I need to stick in and try to get back to a little bit of study at school and get my best results I could get to get myself down to Thurman College, which was where I was going to go to do PE down in Limerick. Um, and then and suddenly I got the word through my club, Manus McCall, who is our our manager. And, you know, I want to I want to mention Manus because Manus was a unique guy as 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 photographs in the book will mm. tell you he was in a wheelchair all mm. his life he had, he had, his, he had, his legs didn't grow fully uh, so he was in a wheelchair mm. he was a taxi driver also a local taxi driver but he was football was his passion and uh-huh. he was a manager of our team in Keiju uh-huh. you know, Keiju Rovers, Keiju Rovers. Mm. and he it was him to give us our opportunity to play football and you need somebody to give you the opportunity that's mm. for sure mm-hmm. and then it's up to yourself to try to take it myself and Dennis my brother my twin brother both of us played so the word came through Manus as Sean Fallon indicated in Dublin that that would be what would happen mm-hmm. um, uh, for the trials and so on and the word came through then to say that Jockstein wanted to sign us Jockstein Celtic, wow. well yeah. Celtic really, I, I mm. don't know if you mentioned Jockstein at the time, but it was mm. Celtic that wanted, wanted to sign us. And uh, so I headed out with my mum and dad, uh, out to Larry Kenny, which was a bit of an hour away. Mm-hmm. And then Manus and a few of the other officials uh, went out. Um, and I remember walking into the Ballerine Hotel and they were sitting there and kind of, there was very little co- conversation and discussion. Uh, around it, um, you know what's going to happen here. Mm. I'm sure they had their eyes and <laughs> on a few bob uh, right. and, and thinking, mm, what are we going to get here out of Celtic? Uh-huh. All I was interested in is just signing. Yeah. So then suddenly we're sitting in. I think my mum and dad got a cup of tea and we're sitting in in a different in a different place actually than 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 mm-hmm. man is in the officials for some reason. Um, and next thing and walks Jockstein and he had that limp you know yeah. you, you could see him coming you know mm-hmm. but that presence oh, yeah. and then Fran Fields the chairman of Finn Harps behind him about mm-hmm. three or four yards behind him and he kind of almost just walked in introduced himself and everybody was kind of in shock uh-huh. uh, and we're standing there and he said if, I can't even remember what he really said um, and um, he must have said would I, would I will, will you sign or would you like to sign or whatever and I, <laughs> I think I was speechless and uh, and next thing, uh, I signed a contract, uh-huh. um, and he said that I was getting seventy pound a week, and I had a thousand pounds in non fee. And he says, "But make sure you help 
or you sort your mum and dad out with that thousand pound. <laughs> that was a sign on fee. I wasn't really, and I didn't know what conversation he had with, with mm. Kajer. I mm -hmm. really didn't know. Right. Uh, and it, to be honest, I was too young to probably even think about that. Mm -hmm. um, but I know later on that Kajer got very little out of it. He got mm -hmm. a, a set of a strips, I think. We did go over and play. Why do you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and Van Harps then ended up getting a test or, or a game through That's Celtic right. yeah. because Fran Fields was in the background mm -hmm. working the deal for Van Harps. And I had no attachment really to Van Harps. So Kajer should have got the deal. So I feel a bit embarrassed about that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But I'd come in a way, you know, then it was July coming. July was coming and started pre-season. The, the other small thing that happened and again was that I was getting a few bobs sent to me. Uh, I was kind of almost on a schoolboy wage at that point. So uh -huh. It was about £25 a week. And I, and a cheque? Uh, no, cash. Just posted cash? Passed, posted cash. It was Irene McDonald who was the, who was the, <laughs> who was the woman. Yeah. And uh, I remember it coming and, and getting it and opening up the envelope and here was uh, almost pay packets. The mm. old... Uh, the old envelope, the mm -hmm. old uh, kind of uh, grease proof paper, uh, mm -hmm. grease proof paper envelopes, and there was two or three of them attached to uh, twenty-five quid in each, huh? and I, I felt, wow, this is fantastic. No, still, yeah. I'm still at school here now, a bit of cash. I don't know. I think to give, give the cash to my mum or something. But anyway, but um, that was it. Then coming coming over, Jerry. Then was the question you asked me was it was unique because you're coming out of a a very very uh, country background. Mm. You know, we were. Mm -hmm. Out in the northwest coast, mm -hmm. looking out onto, uh, looking out onto, you know, the, the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. um, and I know in the past or after that, young James Gallagher came from over there, mm -hmm. uh, right. and he signed with Celtic. And I always, mm -hmm. I kind of always felt uh, a little bit sorry for James in many mm -hmm. ways because mm -hmm. I knew what it was like for me. Mm -hmm. and it was a huge traumatic change in your life mm -hmm. coming out of that environment, going into and so young, so young at eighteen. And you know, people say, "Oh, he was eighteen, surely he should have." Then there was no phones, there was no, mm -hmm. you know, we, we were very kind of probably immature, you would call mm -hmm. the word. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know what city life was about, uh, probably never been, apart from going to Dublin, mm -hmm. never in, in Glasgow before, apart from coming on trial, mm -hmm. but now having to go and, and settle in Glasgow. I was fortunate because I came away and, and, and I had aunts, uh, two aunts here um, mm -hmm. and uncles, and, and I, I stayed with both of them for the next couple of years, mm -hmm. um, which I think it probably helped my mum and dad to, to realise that I was in a good place also. And that helped, that helped to be honest. But I was so homesick, I was so homesick for family, friends. Now, we know from looking back at the time that when Jockstein turned up in the hotel that day, he must have known he was leaving as Celtic manager. Yeah. And yet, he came all the way over to Ireland to sign a 17, 18 year old goalkeeper. You know, it's only when we were doing the book and mm. we were reflecting on all of that and, and I realised that, that he was gone, I think, couple of weeks after mm -hmm. um, and Sean of course Sean Fallon was gone also uh, the main man but I, I kind of kept in touch with Sean a lot because he was in the same parish down in Christ the King and we would meet at Mass and they would mm -hmm. go into the house so I, I kind of understood all of that with Sean but I never really asked the hard question to them I never asked Jock the hard question I bumped into him numerous occasions afterwards maybe at functions or maybe he would come in and visit Celtic Park and that. Mm -hmm. but I was never never had the guts to go up and talk to him about it um, and ask him that hard question why did you come over and sign me when yeah. you knew you had to know uh -huh. that you were leaving the club yeah. surely you could go down and sign some other superstar down in England <laughs> or or in Scotland but to come over to Donegal maybe he wanted to get away from Glasgow for a couple of nights mm -hmm. 
maybe he had, had came across his, his desk and he said, ah, no, I'll go over there and go over, go over to uh, mm-hmm. Fran Fields. Fran Fields is no longer with his either, so I can't ask him the hard mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, but it was, I owe him a lot because of it. Sure. There's no question about it. Very other, very few managers in his position going over to send a young boy that really didn't matter to him. It, it's certainly been happening now. No, no, absolutely. And when I when I reflect back on when when Lou McCarry had released myself and and Shea Given, mm-hmm. and you know Shea tells me what he was told by by Lou when he offered him a contract to stay, uh, to stay at Celtic. I think Shea was on on eighty quid a week or something mm-hmm. plus his dig money paid, and they offered him one hundred and twenty pound, which was less if you put it all into perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then and they had to pay his own digs, mm-hmm. and what Lou McCarry said, well, me sending you won't keep me in a job. Mm-hmm. That was his reaction to Shea when he when he knocked it back. Chuck yeah. Seen could have easily yes easily said that. Yeah, saying backy boner isn't going to yeah. help me in my mm-hmm. future or where I go. So that that is a huge mm-hmm. a huge show of gratitude to to Chuck Steen for actually doing what he did. Otherwise, life would have been different. The funny thing about that is though you actually felt I mean you came in and Billy McNeil was manager. But you actually felt that was an advantage for you starting off with a clean sheet. Yeah, I think so. Any new manager coming in, you're as a clean slate. Slate, you know. I've been there myself with Tommy down in Reading. Mm-hmm. You're going in for the first time, and you're looking at everybody and, and what what uh, with clear eyes, and uh, and and, uh, and uh, you're listening, you're taking it all in, you're watching how people people react, uh, how they perform, but not just performance on the pitch, off the pitch. Mm-hmm. What kind of characters they are, what kind of personality they have. Um, and you know, even though I was young, um, when I, when I went on the pitch, I was a shouter, I was an organizer, I was somebody who who uh, who worked very hard. Also, mm-hmm. um, so maybe all of those things uh, kind of probably affected Billy's judgment. But thinking about Billy and John Clark, both of them probably were looking at the squad, right, and saying, right, what do we have here? Mm-hmm. What do we need to improve? Who are we going to keep in there? Um, who? What's the future? What's the next four or five years going to look like, uh, and how do we have to complement it? Maybe buying one or two players in, which they did. They had David Proven and mm-hmm. Martin McLeod, and mm-hmm. they let go some of the older ones. You know, should give Alison and Ed Roddy went out, so on, and, and they had to change things around a wee bit. Mm-hmm. So, from my perspective, maybe I fitted the bill somehow mm-hmm. as a young potential player who could who could maybe back Peter Latchford up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Neil, what was his presence around the club at that time? <sighs> Listen, his presence, uh, you know, up until the day he passed away, he was always around the club. As, as he, he was this big personality, you know, a guy who lifted the European Cup, led the, led the club into Europe, won so many titles with him and cups. Um, just an overall incredible presence. Now, my relationship with Billy when I, when I was young, probably he was hard on me, mm-hmm. very hard from the fact that you know, even from the from the training sessions that he used to put on and. Mm-hmm. When he used to pump that ball in and top me and get about five or six guys, including himself, and then top me, almost to harden me up. Harden me up. Um, so he didn't hold any punches, and and uh, even he, you know he he was a guy who probably was in the shadow of Jock Steen a wee bit, mm-hmm. and I think John Jock Steen was quite hard on the players too mm-hmm. to get the best out of them, uh, and um, and that I think Billy probably performed his management management kind of. Style and on, based on Jock to a point, mm-hmm. um, so he was always that big presence and all that. I think later in life, when, when he came back the second time, I was much older. I was 26, 27 years old when he came back, and mm-hmm. Billy had matured also, and he, and he had gone through a process of, of down in England, mm-hmm. 
where he wasn't over successful, mm-hmm. if you think about it. So that maybe affected him also mm-hmm. a little bit. That he kind of yeah, let's 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 calm down a wee bit. And mm-hmm. So our relationship, and then of course, uh, as as we lived up here in Newton Mearns, and we uh, we were became very good kind of friends. You let let's call it friends from a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't in each other's pocket by any means, but I huge respect for him and I think mm-hmm. he had great respect for me there afterwards and and when we would meet out anywhere we always had a great chat you know mm-hmm. and and the story of course the lovely story uh, when when uh, when he had Alzheimer's and he was struggling up here mm-hmm. um, he lived around the corner and Andy Walker Frank McAvenny and Joe Miller um, and myself was going out for a cup of coffee with him to take him out mm-hmm. to give Liz a little bit bit of a break and um, uh, I couldn't go because so, suddenly I had to go abroad because of my work with UEFA. But the boys, Andy and Frank and Joe, still took him out. So they were they had their chat. Billy couldn't speak. Mm. He was in that sort of level of, of of the disease affecting him that he couldn't really have a conversation. But he enjoyed the other guys talking and mm. he would nod his head and so on. Um, so at the end of the conversation, they were getting about to leave, and Andy Walker says to him, "He says, oh, big Packy was supposed to uh, be here today." And he stopped and he looked up at Andy and he went, Big Packy, hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the, that was Andy had great delight in McAvenny <laughs> telling me about his, his statement about me, the only statement he made all day. And that kind of maybe, when I look back and it sums up our relationship, yeah. well, we had great respect, we had fun, but we also had this sort of kind of dynamic that, that people couldn't maybe understand from afar, but great respect. And he gave you your debut. Uh, and he gave me my debut. At 18. At 18 years old. And when you think about it, you know, you leave Donegal, mm. playing with in junior football in the Donegal League mm. for Cage Rovers as a, as a 17, 18 year old. You come over to Celtic thinking, wow, this is a huge step. Am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the things, doubts that go through your mind. Definitely determined to work really hard. Straight in working with the first team because at that time it was the reserves in the mm-hmm. first team. And because they had sold Roy Baines, Mm-hmm. Um, to Morton mm-hmm. at the time I then became second choice to Peter Lashford so I was training with the first team mm-hmm. almost on a daily basis much more than the reserves because when they played games and shooting and all of that kind of stuff um, and then you know six months later St Patrick's Day 1979 mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, given my debut uh, by Neal against Motherwell out in Celtic Park uh, which was incredible, mm. incredible to think that, that, you know, within that short period that I was able to step out in front of the fans, you know, and being Irish on that day, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people will tell you that uh, that I was probably a bit of a shock to them in many ways mm-hmm. too, you know, especially the Irish who was living here, mm-hmm. uh, that this young man from Donegal, who is he, mm. what's he all about? Mm-hmm. Can he can he can he perform? Can he mm-hmm. can he do the business? <laughs> and you won. Uh, we won the game. Bobby Lennox uh, had come back from America to to play, and um, we had an particular year. When you think about it, I think that was the year they went on to beat Rangers mm-hmm. to win the title at, at Parkhead. And I was mm-hmm. sitting up at the stand that day. Peter got back into the team, and he was in, and that and that was a that, that in itself. That game, mm-hmm. when you look back on it, four two against Rangers, mm-hmm. against the, the old enemy in Celtic Park on the last day to win the league. Mm-hmm kind of almost portrayed to me what Celtic was all about mm-hmm. in many ways uh, that that this is history being made mm-hmm. and this club has been set up uh, for for obviously the reasons that we all know about charity and all that mm-hmm. but they have developed a history a fantastic mm-hmm. history and these are be, this is one of the nights mm-hmm. 
and one of the years probably that, that they'll go back and reminisce about that, that piece of history that was made that particular night. Now, the unique thing about a goalkeeper, any goalkeeper, different from any other player in the park, for a goalkeeper to get his big break in the first team, it kind of requires the other goalkeeper who's holding the position to have some misfortune. It doesn't happen with midfielders, defenders or, or forwards, and that's kind of what happened to you, isn't it, following you? Yeah, you know, uh, Peter Peter was good. Peter was great to me, you know, and again, the two of us, you have to have a kind of a decent, a good relationship with, with a goalkeeper, mm-hmm. uh, with the other goalkeeper. And Peter was older and he was in a team and I was pushing him, pushing him and we were training hard together. Mm-hmm. Frank Connor used to do a lot of work with us. John Clark, to be honest, also after training would take us out and do a lot of work with us. Um, so all, all of that was going on. Um, and But our relationship was was very strong, mm-hmm. myself and Peter. But unfortunately for Peter, uh, he got a he got an injury uh, the, the day before Danny McGrain's testimonial. Mm-hmm. Um, he broke a bone in his hand. I wasn't even up at that training session. I don't know why. It must have been a, a short training session, or I had gone back down the road, and Peter must have stayed on to do something extra. But I got the word that that he had broken a bone, mm-hmm. and because it was such a short notice, they had nobody else to go in. So in I went uh, against uh, the great Manchester United. Mm-hmm. The great Joe Jordan up front, oh, I, I, my word. Uh, and I tell the story about Joe. I, I love Joe because he came in uh, to the club when Liam Brady was the mm-hmm. manager, as assistant manager, and I had a great relationship with Joe and a very honest, straight man, but a hard as nails. Mm-hmm. Fittest guy I've seen as, as a coach anyway. Mm-hmm. He used to do his running and he would do his sit ups and he would do all that, so he was just as hard as nails. And Danny McGrain had said to me before I went out, I said, Be careful with Joe because he'll hit you. And I kind of sniggered, sniggered and yeah. I said, I, that, that, I can handle myself. You know, one of those situations. And the first cross comes into the box. And I come out thinking, this is my ball. And I'm shouting and I'm jumping and I'm just going to catch the ball. Next thing, back. And all, every bone, every bone in my body shook. Uh, and I went down and I, I was wounded and I was lying down on the ground. And he was just standing over the top of me with those big teeth with the ones that was missing in the front looking yeah. out over me with a kind of a, a <laughs> grin in his face you know now now you've now you're in a game son you know that yeah. was kind of yeah. almost you know and this was a friendly tip. this is a friendly yeah. but that's the way joe played joe yeah. was honest to goodness and you know in those days that was the way the game was played it's different yeah. now goalkeepers don't come for crosses now jerry no you know they don't they don't really come for crosses they come now as can almost uh, last ditch effort but we were set up to come for crosses because the balls came from wide for mm-hmm. the big striker. Sure. And the big striker always peeled to the back post. Mm-hmm. So we almost stood about you know, 15, 16 yards out of mm-hmm. that back post. Mm-hmm. And any ball in there, if he was a good striker, really powerful in the air, which Joe was, he was going to come and hit you. Mm-hmm. But you had not, you hadn't even think about that. You had to keep your eye on the ball and mm-hmm. go for it. And there were certain people's bounce, certain forwards bounced off you, mm. and certain. I used to jump very, very high. That mm-hmm. was one of the things I picked up from Gaelic football. But I used to jump early, also mm. to get up above everybody else before they mm-hmm. could get up there. So I used to jump really high. I had that spring, uh, and that. So most people would give up on that cross because I was up above them and high, but not Joe Jordan. <laughs> Joe was up there with me, and he was coming with power, yeah. power, and absolutely nailed me. But it was a great lesson, and. Uh, and that, and uh, uh, yeah, Danny was right after all. <laughs> <laughs> you never really looked back after that. You know, you go on to make six hundred and forty-one appearances for Celtic. Uh, the Two, fifth, was that six hundred forty-two? That was the six. Was six, was it six uh, we, uh, there was an argument about that, wasn't uh, it? Let's just say you played over six hundred <laughs> <laughs> for Celtic, right? Uh, indisputable is that you're the fifth 
most appearances for, for any Celtic player and uniquely no goalkeeper's ever going to come close to that really somebody ever. said the other day that maybe I was the second longest player um, at Celtic possible I think um, McNair was, was, was the longest uh, mm-hmm. serving mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if that's correct but anyway I'm, I'm happy to have those accolades now when I get older mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't think about it much when I was playing maybe if I if I knew that I was fifth in the list, I might have stayed on a little bit longer. Try to play a <laughs> few more games. Had a few in. Well, not not a lot of injuries, but I had the back injury and so mm-hmm. on that kept me out for a period. Thought I was going to be finished. And that was mm-hmm. 1988, mm-hmm. and I continued to play for another until I was 95. So that's another seven years. So I was lucky in that mm-hmm. sense. But over to me, and you're right. I, I stayed in the team then. You know, and, and most of the time, I think. Billy and John realised during their period that, that uh, I could do the business for them mm-hmm. um, and we were winning things. The first two years when mm-hmm. I got in fully we won the championship mm-hmm. which was incredible. That the, Your first championship, mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the, in, the, in the dressing room afterwards in tears, a guy, a guy called Tony Gallagher from Dunlow. Mm-hmm. He used to drive uh, Tom Devlin, if mm-hmm. you remember the, the one director, the director yeah. from Edinburgh and, mm-hmm. and uh, Tony was his kind of, well not, not his driver or such but they all travelled into one car and that mm-hmm. so Tony had the privilege of getting into the boardroom and getting himself into areas maybe the other people from Dunlow mightn't get there mm-hmm. uh, and I remember him coming in after we won the first championship into the Celtic dress room and kind of was almost in, in tears because of the emotion around it mm-hmm. you know because you, you, when you won at something, when you won something in the first one you always feel then you've you've come you've come into the Celtic history and, and you're part of the scene you know the one in, uh, you know that when they beat Rangers in the 4-2 game while I made my debut that year I never really felt part of, of mm-hmm. the unit because I'd only played two games uh, mm-hmm. you know but now it's suddenly a full season you were in there you had contributed to the cause and um, it was fantastic you know and then to do it the next year and, and really yeah. to be honest we should have done it we should have done it for about four or five years at trot mm. i know aberdeen and dundee united were there rangers were there also we had a, you know we were all under pressure and that may have given them an edge because we had to beat rangers every single time we played them mm. you know and maybe rangers had that you know could could beat us as easily you know because mm. it was a one-off game and that would have Sort of helped uh, Aberdeen and Dundee United, but I remember, you know, we, we played Dundee United when they won the league. I think down at Parkhead, and mm. um, if we had to beat them that particular night, we lost the game two one. We we uh, we would have won the championship. Tommy, we I remember talking to Tommy Burns about this many times, and he says we could have won it four or five times mm. in a trot during that mm-hmm. period. And we had great players. That yeah. was the thing about it. Well, I was going to ask who who were the big characters for you at that particular well, period. Well, it was a wonderful. Like, as I said to you, Billy had bought David Proven and Murdoch McLeod. Mm-hmm. Um, we had myself was there. We had uh, Tommy and Roy. Um, uh, Roy was immense at the back because mm-hmm. you know he had that pace and he was the captain. Um, and Danny McGrain was you know he had his injury problems when he was coming back. So Danny was there, another mm-hmm. huge influence. Also, does Tommy Gadden was converted back at that during that early period with Billy as a, from a striker actually, mm-hmm. bottom from Dundee United. Uh, and, and he was converting him into a centre half and Tom was great Tom, Tom could put his head on the ball and, and then Roy with his pace so we had that um, and uh, in the middle of the pitch with, with uh, you know Murdo and, and Tommy and uh, Davy Proven was a wonderful acquisition to us too and then, mm. then suddenly the arrival of Charlie Nicholas mm. in front Charlie. Charlie and, and can I see also Danny Craney uh, alongside him for, mm-hmm. for the, I think maybe the second season mm-hmm. and then they brought you know he brought in Frank McGarvey from Liverpool and mm. uh, that was an incredible combination of guys you know mm-hmm. and uh, I must say in the 80s during that period that we were there it was the, it was the, it was 
probably the best time to be in Celtic for us as, as young players because we were coming through the system um, and uh, we were winning things mm-hmm. and we were playing in a very competitive league with mm-hmm. Dundee United and Aberdeen doing so well in Europe uh, and us competing against them. Um, to me the 80s was, was the time to be, be at Celtic during my career and, mm-hmm. and it was a wonderful and a very very funny time too you know your characters mm-hmm. like Frank in the dressing room and Tommy in the dressing room winding them up and Davy winding them up and mm-hmm. and you need people like that you need mm-hmm. to have people yeah. on you, you have Frank McGarvey who was, came from Liverpool and uh, signed with Celtic um, probably where he wanted to be in the first place mm-hmm. and then coming into a dressing room with a, with a mirror under his arm and his toolbox no. Because we had no mirror up in the wall. He was a, he was a joiner or something too. <laughs> he was a joiner. To, to come and the next thing we've been, now we've got a mirror up in the wall uh, put there by Frank McGarvey. Uh, not by John McAlinden, the maintenance guy. <laughs> but Frank and that, you know, so stuff like that there that went on. And we had great times. We had great times. Uh, that's a, a distinct period for you. Um, those first few years with that group of players and that manager. And then Billy McNeil left, of course, and then Davy came in. And it was a, a, again a tougher time, but great highlights of that period would be winning the 1985 yeah. Scottish Cup. That was your first Scottish Cup, and then of course the following year. Yeah, we lost. We lost. I think the Scottish Cup against Aberdeen before that, yeah. which was a bit of a huge disappointment. Um, but to win it um, uh, <clears throat> in that year, and then of course. Frank scoring that goal and getting released then the following mm. week. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he tells the story. I won't go I'll into it. <laughs> I won't go into it. But that was that was a bit of a shock for him. But Davy, Davy came in and you know Billy and, and we were a lot of us were sad to see Billy go. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyway, but then we were wondering what's what's the next step? And then in comes Davy Hay, and he was a he was a different character. He was a very laid back type manager, mm-hmm. but still had that steel in his eye. Mm-hmm. He was younger, so you could relate a bit to him. Um, uh, a lot more, you know, um, to, to Davy. I, I felt, to be perfectly honest, under Davy, that I played the best football of my career. I just felt. Mm-hmm. I remember running around one day at Barfield and, and having a kind of a sense of um, just a sense of calmness mm-hmm. and a sense of this is this is. I, I felt kind of unbeatable at times in training and mm-hmm. so on, you know. And I felt I'm, I'm really at the top of my game here. Mm-hmm. I was playing for the Irish. I was in the Irish squad, mm-hmm. um, not quite getting there. Mm-hmm. But I was playing in Europe every year. We were winning championships. Davy coming in, obviously, um, to win that win that Scottish Cup, which was a which was a lovely, lovely day for him. Too, mm-hmm. You know, and then the following year was mm-hmm. it the following year that we yeah, Love Street eighty six eighty six, yeah. which was out of it was like as if we had to win something every year, mm. um, and we couldn't go by a season without. Otherwise, the manager's gone. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, for Davy and Catherine, his family, and so on, uh, it was fantastic ending to a season. We didn't expect it because, of course, we know what happened up in Dens Park. Mm. Um, Does that make it all the better then? I think so. I think when you won a, I won a few championships on the last day. I remember beating St Mern mm-hmm. uh, on the last day when, when Rangers were had to go up to Aberdeen and won 4 0, and they were 4 0 up at half time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were 0 0. And then suddenly we scored two goals and two, three goals maybe in the mm-hmm. second. George McCluskey, yeah, a couple of that. And Tommy Gadam, I think, scored. And, and that. So it's a great way to win a championship on the last day at home. It's very nerve-wracking at home, yeah, yeah. but it's very, very nerve It doesn't matter where you want it. Yeah. <laughs> you want it down to Love Street, and it was an incredible occasion. Mm-hmm. For anybody that was there that remembers it, maybe this younger audience that you have, I don't know, but maybe their father's... Well, let's, let's get the facts of that. I mean, you know, all hearts required was a point at Dens Park. Uh, Celtic had It's not just a case of winning. They had to win the four goals, four clear goals. Yeah. Uh, and you took an early lead and never really looked back. But then there's that, there's that moment just in, in, into the, the second half. 
Um, I mean, what was it like for you? I've watched it many times and and seen the way people react spontaneously. This huge roar out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, the hair stand in the back of your neck. Yeah, there was yeah. a few. I think during the game there was a few roars around mm-hmm. around the stadium. Um, didn't come off anything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then suddenly this almighty roar went up and. Uh, uh, what I remember most about it when I watched the film, but I remember being in goal, and, and you can almost take it by shock because you're wondering what's going on. You're trying to get some reaction from the crowd to see what's mm-hmm. what's kind of happening. And it takes mm-hmm. it takes a you know almost a, a twenty seconds for that news to come come out of the, out of what's happening around the stand. But the bit that I remember is with Jim Stewart going behind the goal when that happened, and, mm-hmm. and him some, obviously there must have been a shot and the ball's gone wide, and mm-hmm. suddenly he's gone behind them goal to retrieve the ball and he's kind of bending down and next thing the, the crowd mm. go up mm. uh, and Jim's standing there with the ball kind of in, in, in statue mode and mm. wondering oh, what's happening here you know yeah. so, so he, <laughs> he was doing I, I slag him off now because I do a bit of work with Jim yeah. and he travels around doing some of the UFA stuff I mean he's a great guy actually and we talk about that you know and I say he's big uh, I don't know who was who was more in shock him or, or, or ourselves um, but certainly uh, it was a wonderful day because you know that to happen, and, but we played brilliantly in the game. Mm. We played, we scored some fantastic. If you look yeah. at the goals that we mm. scored that particular day, and I remember there was one. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna jump myself into this because I think I threw the ball out to Danny. I think the film only caught Danny getting the ball, but it's, not, it's not quite an assist, <laughs> is it? Really, but and then it worked its way right up the pitch. Yes, uh, to score, and it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful performance. We were really, really on high, and that goes back maybe to this whole thing about playing for Celtic Football Club as a player. There's no game that's a friendly. There is no game that you're out of it. You have to win every single game for those fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the attitude we went out with that particular day, um, that we had to win the game mm-hmm. and we were going to win it well and play well. And even if we lost the league, we'll go out on a real high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that. and the way it worked out was that we played really well, mm-hmm. scored all the goals, mm-hmm. and... Uh, then Dundee did, did us a big, big, big favour. And what a celebration thereafter. Yeah, brilliant. I remember Anne's dad, actually, my wife's dad, running onto the pitch. Uh, we were, I don't know what, we were up, with, we must have been up in the stand, I don't know how it was, but mm. he was he was kind of running on the pitch uh-huh. after the game. Uh-huh. And he wanted to get my car keys and take the car back <laughs> so I could go out for a celebration with Anne. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that, that was his, his thing about it, you know. Uh-huh. So family is very important. They all fit into the whole occasion. Sure. Um, and that was another magnificent memory. But where does, you know, Billy McNeil come back in 1987? Davy left. Um, where does that centenary season fit in in your reminiscence of Celtic? Um, where does it fit in the centenary year? I think it's history. It's again we talked about the four-two game Rangers. You know, you look back in certain moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this this was probably one of the bigger ones mm-hmm. because it was centenary year. Mm-hmm. I was felt. You know, I remember the start of that season. Uh, we played Arsenal at home, mm-hmm. um, and we got beat. It was five. We could beat five two, and, mm-hmm. and, and we wondered whether we were going to be good enough to even even start the season and and uh, and get any victories. Um, but I think it, it spurred us on. It spurred us on to to just stick with what what we had worked on in pre season, which was very much about a bit of closing down game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started to win the games. We had to work very hard that season to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. We didn't win them four and five nil. We had to win them, but even that in itself made it all the sweeter. 
mm-hmm. uh, we had a great defensive record that year. There was 44 games that particular season, if I'm mm-hmm. not wrong, mm-hmm. which is people are now talking about, you know, yeah. 38, why, why can we finish a season? Yeah. <laughs> we played 44 games that season. Yeah. And our defensive record was magnificent. I think we were something about 22 goals or something mm. um, in that. Um, and uh, that's what I, I think more so than, than our traditional thing about scoring mm. a lot of goals. I think we won it that year because of the team spirit and because of our defensive record. We were always going to score goals, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But we had a grind games out mm-hmm. and the momentum was going then. So from the fans' point of view and from the history of the club, it was like a book. I've always said that, and mm-hmm. we were maybe a, maybe a play or whatever. We were the actors, mm-hmm. and we had to just go out there and perform, and it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just as if it was meant to be. Meant Let's to talk be. international football. Yeah, um, your debut with Ireland uh, came at your twenty-first birthday, but really. It, it, Let's get to the World Cup. Let's yeah, talk about that. Yeah. You know, the European Championship in 1988. Yeah, which was the, the f- was, was the forerunner for the World Cup. We had a good team, though. Jack had taken over, Jack Charlton. And, you know, again, like Jock Steen, when you have a person like Jack Charlton with that presence, that height, walking mm. into a room first time, you wonder what you're getting. Mm. But he just had an aura about him mm. um, and an aura that was going to going to make my change my career to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest you know because I had only played nine caps to, until he until he stepped in and mm-hmm. gave me my chance and I had another sort of what 70 71 caps thereafter over mm-hmm. that over mm-hmm. that period uh, almost a 10-year period um, we were I think he got a little break in, in the fact that we we had I think we played Brazil in, in a friendly game and beat them mm-hmm. which were the only I think we were the only nation uh, on their tour to mm-hmm. beat them, mm-hmm. they they might have drew with uh, England or maybe drew with Scotland and mm-hmm. England be, beat England or whatever, and we beat them in Lansdowne Road. So so that in itself gave us a belief that maybe some of the stuff that Jack's talking about here mm-hmm. is the way forward in mm-hmm. international football. Mm-hmm. Don't put the ball at risk. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you close people down. Make sure you work hard as a team, but don't give the opposition that opportunity to get a goal up and then they would drop and then we wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't get it back. So that was our kind of philosophy. Um, and get a ball forward into areas to hurt them, um, mm. and that, and, and that. But but the players we had was sensational players. Mm. You know, when you think back, Liam Brady was just coming. He was still out in Italy mm-hmm. in those early days, and uh, he had played with Juventus. We played against mm-hmm. uh, Juventus. Liam was in the team, mm. um, and that he was a wonderful world class player. But the likes of you know Paul McGrath, another world class player. Mm. Uh, went on to play for Manchester United and Aston Villa and so on. Then the Liverpool guys, you know, you had Ray Houghton, mm. uh, John Aldridge, mm-hmm. you had Ronnie Whelan, magnificent player. Uh, Mark Lawrenson was in the team. Though, mm-hmm. So you had, you had about four of a Liverpool team. There was one in European Cups at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, even the, you had Chris Hutton and Tony Gallivan with Spurs. Mm. Um, you had Frank Stapleton, you know, Man United, been with Arsenal, mm-hmm. uh, went on to play with Ajax, also Frank, brilliant striker. Dave Leary was in the round, didn't quite get in before Kevin Moran, and uh, he was also, you know, ex Gaelic player coming mm-hmm. from Dublin, going over to Manchester United, and a, a rock, a real rock. And then Mick McCarthy, who was at Man City, mm-hmm. uh, and then came up to us, uh, Chris Morris coming in, and all of that. So, and, and when you think then about the players there, after that group of players, you had Steve Staunton, mm-hmm. Liverpool, fantastic left foot on him. You had Roy Keane, 
uh, you had Andy Townsend, you had Tony Casco, you had people, big, big, uh, big, big solid team, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we had one, Dennis Irvin, another one I didn't mention. Mm-hmm. Dennis, Dennis went on, you know, won the European Cup with Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Brilliant left left foot on him. Uh, very, very controlled, could play left or right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that so so we had we had Kevin Sheedy Everton. I'm just trying to go through all sure, the names, yeah. you know. These are guys. Kevin Sheedy scored that big goal against England. Play with Everton. Play with Liverpool also mm-hmm. for a period. One titles. One titles. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so we, we, he was taken over and he had a group of players. And what he had to do is manage them and make them feel happy. And once we got success, the whole thing it was just a, a roller coaster. And then you had the fans. In those early days, it was very simple. You know, mm-hmm. the fans went and supported us. They had great parties. They had, they enjoyed it. Success helps. Sure, yeah. Success helps. Sure, yeah. There's no question. But when you're in playing against the best teams in, in, in Europe and then the best teams in the world, we didn't qualify in '92 without losing the game. By the way, the qualification, which mm-hmm. was a, England qualified out of our group, and then we went to the uh, again another World Cup in '94 mm-hmm. to America. Uh, failed in '96 in the playoff against. Um, against Holland mm-hmm. and uh, Liverpool mm-hmm. um, so over that 10 year period it was incredible and that it was lovely to be part of it mm-hmm. and I was there for the full time that Jack mm-hmm. came in till he left mm-hmm. but he was an incredible leader to be fair to you though I mean more than a part of it because the moment that, that changed your life you always talk about this as changed your life as well and your, the perception of, of Paddy Bonner as a goalkeeper was of course the penalty shootout against Romania in <laughs> 1990 um, we could talk all day about that, but I don't want to go into it. But um, such a huge moment, you know, facing down penalty kicks. You know that if you stop this, then it op- operates a chance for um, David O'Leary to take yeah. Ireland through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of probably a moment in in my life that has uh, has maybe kind of conditioned people to think of a Packy Boner in a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. But I also think it conditioned people. To, to remember that moment for for years, mm-hmm. you know, it was thirty years ago, yeah, last weekend, Jeez, yeah. which is incredible. So those people now that it's in their kind of maybe fifties and sixties, and even when I think at the what the problems we've had in the last you know six weeks, seven weeks of mm-hmm. COVID, and all of the older people that's no longer what is maybe that's passed away, mm. all of them people mm. lived through this sure. thirty years ago, yeah. and they were probably. Younger than me now, sure, yeah, mm. rare in the family, sure. And the memory that they had of that particular time mm-hmm. was an exceptional period because they were there and they were living through it for almost six weeks, and then they, you know taking it right to the penalty shootout mm. and getting through the penalty shootout, mm-hmm. which is more important, sure, you know, yeah. and then having to go to play Italy and 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 Rome in the quarterfinals, like that doesn't come around too often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe in Saipan when the whole thing happened out there, mm-hmm. people were saying, and, and they nearly got to a quarter final. Yeah. They were one penalty shootout away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people will say maybe if Roy hadn't to go home and he was around. Roy Keane. Uh, yeah. Roy Keane, mm-hmm. that we might have ended up in, in, in the final in mm-hmm. the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Not so sure, but anyway. Uh, but these things don't come around too often. So it does define your life. Mm-hmm. And it does, when when you wrap emotion around the, anything, mm-hmm. you, know, and, you know, all these young lads is here now if you can capture emotion around anything you do mm-hmm. uh, for people that will live with them that mm-hmm. moment will live with them for the rest of their days and that's what happened around that the emotion was incredible mm-hmm. I, I've seen you know grown men cry mm-hmm. uh, there was a lovely uh, 
piece of video on RTE of, of one of a very strong, uh, very strong and tough um, political reporter, mm-hmm. um, and that, and he was captured in I think it was the RDS. Mm-hmm. But he was a big man to heavy mm-hmm. man, and the tears were running down his face, and the emotion mm-hmm. on his face was quite incredible. Mm-hmm. When you do that to people, you know it's not the, that I did it; it was the moment, that it, it was mm-hmm. the occasion that it then people don't forget these things. There always seems to be a story. I mean, it's five years since we did the book, and in that time we've heard a lot of other stories from people that I wish I'd got to get into the book. And one story in particular that's only come to light to you very, very recently, uh, was one I read. We need to do a sequel to the book. This this is a tremendous story involving uh, one of the the Lebanon Beirut hostages, Brian Keenan. Brian Keenan. I I was over in in January in Dublin, and uh, I was picking up an award at the media, annual dinner dance that they have over there and uh, it was the great Charlie Stewart who was uh, who was my co-writer uh, of my column for the Irish press at the time during the World Cup and mm-hmm. Charlie was a brilliant man but Charlie's an older gentleman now but he, he was given the, the honour of going up and presenting the trophy to or the, the, whatever I got on that particular day and he had to make a, make a speech and he started off the speech talking about Brian Keenan Brian Keenan from Belfast and Brian Keenan was uh, was captured by the, the jihadis as he called them yeah. out in uh, Lebanon he was there it was a time that uh, he was there with uh, John McCarthy mm-hmm. um, and Terry uh, Waite, and Terry Waite was, yeah. the, was the other big character in the whole mm-hmm. story but the two of them was captured by the Lebanese and they were in prison in a cellar down a dungeon kind of cellar down in uh, the Lebanon and as Charlie explained, <coughs> the the guards were out in the other room, and but the game they were listening to a game, and it was in French, mm-hmm. and Brian Keenan understood French, and he could hear them talking, and so on. The game was on, and it was the Irish game, and it was the penalty shootout. It came mm-hmm. to the penalty shootout, mm-hmm. and Brian Keenan was in, and he was supporting the Irish team, and uh, suddenly it went to the penalties, and. Uh, I saved the penalty and Brian Keenan jumped up with the chains on his hand and mm. shouted up Ireland mm. and the guards came running <laughs> in and, and uh, he said what, what are you doing he says you're you're British and he says no I am Irish I am Irish you're, I'm supporting Ireland and then just as he was saying that Dave O'Leary went and scored the, the one in goal and Brian jumped up again and up the Irish and so on and then within Two or three weeks, Brian Keenan was released. Yeah, because the the jihadi guards went back and told their bosses that this man is not British. He's not British. He is Irish. Because I seen him and celebrating the Irish team. So Brian Keenan sent me a lovely card, mm. and Charlie presented me on that night that he was the head of the G- of the Lebanon Irish Supporters Club, <laughs> <laughs> and he told me the story, and it's a true story as far as uh, as far as Charlie is concerned, and that was it's it. So we, we had an effect in somebody else's life too. Oh God, right. well, a profound effect. Listen, I, um, I want to bring it to a close. I mean, we, we could talk all day, but you know, you stayed with Celtic that magic moment winning the Scottish Cup, and Tommy was manager. But like, let's let's come up to date now. Um, part of your work is that you work for BBC Radio Scotland in commentary. Uh, you work for UF as well, you're always on the move, you're a, a difficult guy to pin down. But um, the state of Scottish football in general, and let's have a wee chat about the Celtic thing as well, because that, I would say that's kind of changed certainly since 1978 when you arrived. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I go in there and I have to commentate on it. I have to be true to what I see, mm-hmm. that's for sure, and call it out as if it, when, when they're doing brilliantly, fantastic, and when they're not, uh, when something goes wrong, you have to you have to call it. I love talking about the tactical side of the game much mm-hmm. more. I don't want to make it, I, don't, I try not to make anything too personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, people do make mistakes and people are, are the heroes in one moment and mm-hmm. the villains the next. So, but, but it's about the tactical side of the game. But, but Celtic Football Club in itself probably has changed. You know, when I came over here first, uh, I probably it was ingrained into me that you know that Celtic was an Irish club to a certain degree because I, I grew up in Donegal and that big connection. And my uncle was over here, and mm-hmm. and what what he used to say to me was that you know Celtic going up to Celtic Park for them when they were young mm-hmm. was um, was it kind of almost an avenue for them to relax and mm-hmm. for them to. Uh, to almost get away from the, the, you know, what was going on around Glasgow at the time, and they could actually stand up for themselves also, mm-hmm. and feel equal to anything else around that. So it was kind of an avenue for that, and that that kind of stuck with me, you know, mm-hmm. that I was there representing um, the Irish, representing you know the Celtic fans in a different way when you walked out on the pitch when you had won games and so on. Mm-hmm. Maybe nowadays it's changed a little bit, and I wonder. I always wonder, and I haven't really sat down with any of the younger generation of Celtic supporters and asked them what really makes them tick. What 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 makes it happen for them as Celtic supporters? You know, yes, the history, of course, the history is there. We talked about some of the mm-hmm. historical games that I was involved in or been been party to, um, and the European Cup, of course, will always be the the big moment, winning that, getting to final in 1970, all of those things. Mm-hmm. What's the business now? You know, when you look at the club, and, and I must say, that Peter and the board have done a fantastic job in around the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks fantastic, the, the stadium and walking up to it and all that. Uh, and that, but um, it, it it's very much a business. You know, when you talk and look at the money that's wrapped around it. You know, when you look at the, the club and, and the, the amount of money that they pay out to the players, and you know, you know, sixty million wage mm-hmm. <laughs> a wage bill every year, and uh, they have to generate that huge money. Um, uh, and and it is a business. There is no question about it. Um, and and that maybe maybe the, I hope the values are still there. Uh, and I think it is in, in many people's minds. But you can never lose those values of what the club was for and what 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 what, it, what it's all about. Uh, and money should never be the the thing that takes that away uh, from from us. Um, and uh, maybe now in this COVID time, in this nice time to reflect. Mm-hmm. And really, what the club is for the fans, mm-hmm. because the fans that make the club, you know, and mm-hmm. any any uh, revenue that's generated in, in the main is 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 done um, by the clubs by, by the club's fans. Mm-hmm. You know, they buy the season tickets to support the club, mm-hmm. fifty sixty thousand every week. Um, merchandise, the commercial end, even the foundation, it's, it's the fans. Um, mm-hmm. Even during Fergus's time, it was the fans that bought the season. The, mm-hmm. the you know, share share the shares. I was one of them. I'm sure you were one of them too, mm-hmm. Jerry. And you know, all of that. So the fans is is an integral part of the club um, and that and the history and so on. So we must never lose any of them things. So money cannot be the 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 parameter uh, mm-hmm. of of making decisions. It can't be. It can't mm-hmm. be. There has to be something else. Big, big changes in your time. Um, one of the things I love about going to Ireland with you is I've never yet had to buy a drink because everybody wants to buy a packet <laughs> for a drink. But how would you like to be remembered by by the Celtic support and maybe even the Irish? Um, I would like to be remembered as as the records say as one of the longest serving players. You know, one man club. I would like to be that that I committed myself one hundred percent because when when you when you're at Celtic Football Club for that length of time, it's not just myself but my whole family. 
um, are committed to the cause because they have to do things out of the extraordinary. Uh, you know, my wife Anne, who, who she she would have can tell you many many days herself, and Tommy's wife Rosemary, and all had to take the kids out of the house to go up to the shopping centre to waste two or three hours <laughs> to allow myself and Tommy and that to go to sleep in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. um, you know all of those things. You know, Celtic dictated our lives. Um, you know, and 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 the perf- performing for Celtic mm-hmm. dictated our lives. So I think. You know, I, I would hope the fans remember, and I think they would do uh, uh, remember that commitment was always there and will always be there as a Celtic fan. Life has changed, of course. We're you know, I was away for eight years in Ireland working as technical director, so I didn't have the same connection with Celtic during that period. But the moment you come back, two weeks after you come back and you live in the city, you're back into the whole yeah. Celtic Celtic Rangers commitment. And I must say about Scottish football also, you know, Scottish people talk about Scottish football and where it's gone. There's been a lot of controversy in the last, you know, uh, what, ten weeks or whatever we're mm-hmm. on lockdown mm-hmm. here, you mm-hmm. know, but but it was happened. But Scottish football is very important and it's very important to me because it, that's what made me. It wasn't English football, mm-hmm. even the internationals, I wouldn't have been in, in, in the World Cups and so on unless mm-hmm. I had Scottish football. Um, and I think, you know, Celtic leading Scottish football and be part of the leadership of that is for me is vitally important and, and determine which, which way it should go into mm-hmm. the future. Um, for me, I'm, I'm always interested in that debate. I'm always interested in sitting down talking about it, but promoting not just Celtic Football Club, but also Scottish football for that reason. Other people will have other ideas about it and that's mm-hmm. an opinion. Fine, no problem. But I promote Scottish football. When I go to Ireland, I always work, you know, um, can I get into a, a discussion with guys over there? Ah, oh, Scottish football is this, Scottish football is that. It's yeah. not the same. And I says, hey, listen, if the League of Ireland was as good as Scottish football, if they were getting sixty thousand people at games, if they were in getting into European, uh, you know, Champions League uh, every season, if if you were doing what Scottish football, Celtic in, in particular, do, then you wouldn't be you wouldn't be in the, in the situation you're in at the moment. So I, I put up that argument and I use Scottish football as the as the argument. Brilliant. Packet, always great talking to you. You always give us candour and honesty. Uh, thanks for joining us on CFP Football. Pleasure. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave